0: Hey, it's Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about CVS's latest health trends report. What can the rest of the industry learn from retailers' approach to preventive care? And can it lead more providers to innovate around consumers' true health needs? I'll talk about that. Then I welcome Rich Phillips, Managing Director at Huron, to discuss the tech stack that powers the consumer experience. Creating a better consumer experience in healthcare starts by understanding the technologies and data that are needed to make it happen. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. The latest CVS Health Trends report feels like a milestone. The focus on this one is preventive care. Dr. Sri Shagaturu, Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer at CVS Health, leads off the report with some statements that I feel accurately describe the role of preventive care from the retail health standpoint. See if you can detect that theme through some of these excerpts. First one, despite the value of preventive care, adoption remains historically low. To change that, we must meaningfully improve access, convenience, and cost. Healthcare providers know that evidence-based preventive care saves lives, but every American also understands the challenges of getting that care, whether it's a blood pressure checkup or undergoing a cancer screening. At every step, we as consumers are met with obstacles, which include difficulty in accessing these services, inconvenient appointment times, and sometimes prohibitive costs. Here's the second one. As the leading health solutions company, we at CBS Health know that the reasons people miss preventive care are often deeply individual. Some are too busy to engage with a primary care physician in person or virtually. Others may have barriers stemming from their social determinants of health, such as a lack of transportation to a doctor's office. Yet others may need remind or additional education about which services can keep them well. And the third excerpt. For some, an automated phone or app-based nudge may be enough to encourage them to schedule a vaccine. For others, virtual or home-based care may be the most convenient option for routine screenings. Taking all of this into account, we are working to offer each of our patients and members a next best action, a step to help them manage their current health and prevent worse outcomes down the road. This report really got me thinking. Whether or not it was their intention, this was a great way to facilitate a discussion about why preventive care hasn't always been a part of healthcare business strategies and how we can change that with a disruptor's mindset. Historically, when primary care is talked about from a health system's standpoint, it's most often at the bottom. It's seen as a loss leader, a sunk cost, a cog in the referral system to drive patients to the real moneymaker procedures. That's one reason why the consumer experience there so often suffers. Keep shoving clipboards in patients' faces and pushing them through in 15-minute increments. Looking through a standalone financial lens, primary care gets crushed under the weight of failed expectations and contribution margins. But the retail point of view suggests that primary care, especially the preventive care component, is a key to a healthier society. Socially and health-wise, it's the key to personalized, customized, whole-person health. It's also, I'd argue, the key to future financial sustainability of those specialty care providers. That's why it's ironic to me that it gets downplayed by health systems, but is the focus of so many disruptors. It's the first type of service that retailers and digital health providers, Providers tend to offer. And while everyone wastes their time wondering if Amazon or Walmart will get into the acute care hospital business, and by the way, there are no indicators that either of them are even the slightest bit interested, while that's happening, disruptors see preventive care in a totally different light. They see it as a key to reducing the effects and costs of chronic conditions. They see it as a play to get health behavior data and generate brand loyalty. If they have their way and make even the slightest dent in improving the overall health of consumers, it means fewer patients at hospitals. That's always been the rub for me. Remember, healthcare business systems weren't built with consumers' costs or experiences in mind, or in some cases, even basic human dignity. And that's the point. A focus on preventive care is another example of the benefit of having a disruptor's mindset, rather than trying to force everything through the hospital, provider, insurance-based, path that has been pushed on us for so long. We can do better. Let's see how we can truly innovate around consumers' needs by putting preventive care at the center of the healthcare journey and see how that improves the health of our society. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. Hey, let's get back into the flow. Please give it up for Rich Phillips. Rich is my guest today. He's the managing director at Huron. Rich, welcome to the Healthcare Wrap.
1: Thanks so
0: much, Jared. It's really great to be here with you. Thank you. What did I miss in your bio? Help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. What would you like them to know about you personally and professionally?
1: Wow, I'll start with a personal because it's fun. I live in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in South Carolina, and we've got bears in our yard about once a week during the summertime. Beyond that, I just absolutely love to ride my bike, and I'm in a monster bike ride next weekend. that has got a a Tour de France caliber climb to it, so just really anxious to get ready for that, and it's such a beautiful time of year where we live here with the leaves changing and everything, so it's just It'll be fun to get out on uh, progressive weekends and watch the colors continue to move forward. So just a beautiful time of year and really enjoy being outside.
0: Great. And then professionally, I was mentioning right before we got on the air here, it's hard to unpack all the things that represent where somebody is and how they've gotten there just by their title. Can you give us a little bit more about where you've been and what you've done previous to this? Yeah,
1: I would have had such a, a different career. I've been really fortunate and blessed to have some really unique experiences. So I, I started in the technology field the first 10 years or so, was on a CIO track, became a CIO and concluded after that, that you know what, I, I enjoy that, but I'd really love to be in a more business leadership role. So I completed a couple of master's degrees and had an opportunity to do startup that was really wildly successful and transformative for me in just frankly learning how self-limiting people are. And following that, I did five business turnarounds, all of them in the kind of consumer technology-enabled space, did a lot of work in loyalty, ran the largest loyalty company in the country. And the last 10 years or so, I've been focused on healthcare, where this whole idea of consumerism and loyalty and improved experiences is front and center. And so I've just really been fortunate to work with some of the best marketers in the world at some highly recognized brands who are known for doing those things. And so being able to share that with our clients has been really rewarding for me.
0: I'd like to start off with this thought of addressing consumers' needs. I'd love to hear what you're seeing, what you're hearing in terms of where health systems in particular are doing well when it comes to addressing consumers'
1: needs. You touched on it earlier, the whole siloed nature. And I think all you need to do is conduct a journey map uh, exercise where you bring people in throughout the entire continuum of the journey, billing people and scheduling people and admissions people and what have you, and you see how many handoffs occur and people don't appreciate what's occurring up and downstream from them, they just do their thing. And of course the burden that is, is placed on the patient to, to navigate across those handoffs. And so even though as marketers, we bemoan that situation, We're doing the same thing. We've got a system that does a website and it has web-based data and that data lives and only lives in the website. And then you got a forms engine and then you got a CRM and then you got one of these and one of these. And by the time you're done, you realize the marketer's got a tech stack of about 10 things, none of which is, bringing the data in for a unified customer 360 to see longitudinally what's happening through that narrow part of the journey called, I've got a need, who can help me? And so I have really tried to focus systemically at that problem and think about either unifying data or unifying systems to eliminate many of those handoffs at, at a data level. Now all of a sudden you're in a position to see longitudinally what's going on, find the off-ramps in the journey, and think from the, you know, customer centric perspective as to how can we change? How can we improve the ability for that patient to move from consideration through conversion? And without those kind of data being knit together, that's a problematic thing that becomes manual and ad hoc at best. And so that's where I've focused is unifying them systemically in order to bridge the gap and present the ability to think about the big picture.
0: I see. So I imagine there's a spectrum where some healthcare organizations are a lot further along that journey than others. What's preventing them from making more progress? Is it the classic case of, oh my goodness, now we have to build a business case and win an investment for a new type of Platform or platforms that are going to help do what you're talking about of unifying the data?
1: My experience has been that you have to start with a true north. We want to go directionally there, which then sets two things in motion. Number one, it creates some design principles so that when you come to the fork in the road, you know whether to choose path A or B. And that might mean you sub optimize that discrete decision in order to capitalize on the bigger picture called unified data. It also gives you some sense for where do we start in the journey. I find that because it can look daunting, you can tend to give up on it and then move back into that discrete set of decisions rather than thinking about this as a roadmap to get myself to that end state. And so those design principles, for example, there was a period in the marketing space in healthcare where we were loving the idea of something like a Zoc Doc or a Doc ASAP or whatever as a means of generating leads. And while, of course, that's good in principle, if those leads don't find its way into your CRM for lead management or find their, their way into your EMR for conversion, all you're doing is piling up a, another set of data that's not able to be actioned. And so that's one example where you could instead go to the doc SAP or whomever and say, you know what, we like your platform, but we've got a design principle called, if you can't get your data into our CRM, you're not a good fit for us. Now, all of a sudden, you've solved for the lead generation goal, but you've also created an opportunity to move that data so it becomes actionable and convertible downstream, and you can see where and how that person came into the organization. And that's an example where you solve both worlds, but it was because of that design principle, you didn't add to the problem, you solved for the problem of unified data as you were moving through that journey.
0: Nice. Okay, let's dig in here a little bit because we're talking about a lot of different components here. Let's maybe back up one step in terms of, for those who maybe aren't, in it day to day just helping them understand this this is part of a healthcare organization's strategy to be more consumer focused everything we're just we've been talking about if an organization is a little Earlier in that journey of making the case and evangelizing for this, what's their value proposition? Like, what do they have to tell their stakeholders to say, no, this needs to be a priority? We need to be making some investments here. We need to be consumer focused. Here's the business case. Or what's part of that conversation? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, I've typically started with three different levers, and it really depends on the organization. One is, I just ask them as leaders to think about their experience outside of healthcare and how does that translate to what they experience as a patient? And all of a sudden, you have the aha moment of, wow, we really need to do better. And so, classically, when the CEO comes back from a broken leg, he or she is evangelized to say, I've got a call to action to do it differently. That's example one. The second thing I would say that starts to put it into to mathematical terms that the CFO would engage is the first step to growth is minimizing attrition. And I always create a waterfall that says, "All right, here's your current revenue, or whatever it is we want to use as the the metric. Here's your, where you're starting now." The data suggests, or hypothetically, we could assume if you're losing between 10 and 15 percent of your patients every year, you you have a mom that delivers a baby, but she doesn't come back for peds, or a mom that delivers a baby and doesn't come back for well mom care. You've lost all of that person and ultimately families care needs over the next 30 years. There's a material number there. That's, that's north of a million dollars that just went walking out the door. So if that's your problem, You've got to grow 15% just to break even on where you were before. And so lifetime value, what is it that's walking out the door is part of that, but helping them just understand the idea of retention as the first step in growth usually gets people activated to say, wow, now can you tell me more? Thankfully, I'm in an organization now where we've got the data that can measure the percentage of wallet that is being enjoyed by a particular health system. And it's staggeringly low in many cases, how much of that family or person's wallet is actually coming into that particular health system. We call that share of care. And usually the data is enough to get people to realize, wow, I've got to do something about this. This is a compelling problem that I knew was out there, but hadn't been quantified for me before. Once that's done, Now it's just a matter of how you've established the why. Now the how is the only thing that matters. And at that point, it's a simple roadmap to say, these are the first three things we should start with, and we'll get to these other things in phase two or three. And the momentum has been established. That's really the key is, light the fire with the why, and then they're starting to ask you about the how.
0: What types of technologies and and data sources are we talking about in order to do that, even just to have a better consumer experience in general? What does a tech stack look like, and then what data do we need to be generating?
1: Yeah, well, just briefly, I'll I'll use an analogy of something that, that happened in real life for me. So Hilton was a very big client that I worked with, and they did market segmentation, and they said, these are a really good customers. These in the middle are interesting. We like to cultivate it. And these guys over here are not all that interesting. And we said, "Well, why? And they said, well, of course, we get a lot of volume from these guys. And we get almost nothing from these guys over here. So what we did was we bumped that their data against American Express spend data. And we found in category three, some amazing travelers. They were just going to Marriott. And so it changed the perspective. If you're only using your own data, your ability to understand the market either at, at, at aggregate level or end of one is really fractured and so that same principle applies in healthcare most health systems are very enamored with their own emr data and of course that's going to tell you a compendium of information about your existing patients comma it's not going to tell you anything about what they're spending somewhere else It also doesn't tell you anything about those that are ever even coming in your door. And so we we use claims data as the starting point for the real source of truth. Of course, compared to EMR data, because you get some granularity there, now all of a sudden you can see what we're getting, what we're not getting, where are the off ramps, where is our share of care not where it needs to be? Where is some attractive patient, both geographically and from a persona standpoint? And once you've got that fact-based visibility. Now, it's a simple matter of constructing strategies, whether it's outreach strategies or retention strategies to either acquire or retain volumes. The the house starts to take shape, but you got to begin with the understanding of what's actually happening in the market. And that claims data, in my opinion, is the ultimate source of truth because it shows you the whole spend pattern.
0: Okay, so let's talk about one type of platform and specifically a PRM. Can you tell me what that means and where that fits into what you just described?
1: Yeah, so I'm a big champion of a term that I use, data-enabled growth. And we do that on the B2B side in healthcare. B2B is the PRM, B2C is what we call precision patient marketing or PPM. Both of them are powered by the technology that we all call CRM. And so we start with data at the top for doing market segmentation. And to your point, on the PRM side, you use that to understand referral patterns. Dr. Jones, 80% of the volume is going here, 15% here and 5% here. And what you find is a surprising, in fact, alarming mix of volume that should be coming to your doors that's not going, that you think is, but is not. So once again, you're in a position to have a fact-based conversation with Dr. Jones. Why are you not referring to us more often? Well, you don't have access. It takes three months to get an appointment or the experience wasn't great the last time or whatever. Now you can solve for the ors. What are the root issues? And you've earned the right to ask for his business three months from now. So that's really the big use case on PRM is understanding referral patterns through the data and then using that to target your B2B outreach, where the biggest opportunities are to find people who have the kind of patients that fit your mix. Got it. So
0: who typically owns that? Is that a marketing? Is that physician relations? Is there a typically owns that process?
1: Yeah. So the far majority of time, it's a group that's called physician re- liaison or physician relations, something like that. Classically, that's not a bit, been a very data-driven group. They have, in many cases, operated on more kind of a relationship selling. Hey, Dr. Jones, I've known you for five years. Our kids are in choir together, that kind of thing. More and more, that's becoming a professional group driven by data to understand where they should focus their efforts. So yeah, physician liaison, physician relations. Now, I would say the one thing that we find is an encouraging trend is unifying growth-oriented roles under one leader. In one of our recent uh, clients I actually spoke with this morning, the what used to be a chief marketing officer is now a chief revenue or chief growth officer that includes strategy, includes B2C marketing, includes physician liaison. Now all of a sudden you can have a unified strategy and unified data across all three of those. And that to me is the top of the hill as to how you'd want to do this.
0: Okay. I want to think through the tech stack side of this then. In an organization that does follow the pattern you just described when they do have this m- more of a unified organizational structure within their team where that data is able to flow and, and everyone who benefits from having access to referral data, etc., has access to it and understands it and, and can pull out the right insights. But I know that's not an easy process and I know not everyone's there. What tips do you have for implementing a tech stack in that way and getting organizations organization set up so that they can all benefit from that data?
1: Yeah. So. The analogy I'll use there is if you have three watches, you're really not sure what time it is. And we find the same thing. The strategy group is using one source of truth. The marketing team is using another source of truth. And the physician liaison is using another source of truth. Now, each of those might serve their own needs reasonably well. Why not have a unifying data set across those? On top of that, why not have a unifying... Uh, activation platform, so making those insights actionable. We often call those platforms CRM, but basically in simplifying the tech stack saves you money, eliminates the debates as to whether the number is 3 or 3.4, and gives you the ability to harmonize your growth strategy around patient and physician populations. Now, all of a sudden, you've got the ability to have a unified plan. And so we find planting the seed on that big idea and then finding that the champion or champions who believe in it enough to help sponsor it in their organization, now all of a sudden you got a chance of success. And you know getting one or two leaders to buy into that makes the third or fourth a lot easier. And you're not going to get it all in one fell swoop. I, I think this is a journey, but goes back to that true North principle. If this is the big idea, let's make decisions along the way that get us ready for that. And so maybe a contract is going to be up for renewal in 18 months. Let's plan on an RFP nine months from now that gets us ready to to create a unified platform architecture when that contract expires. You you don't have to kill it all at once, but you just need to be planful about it.
0: Yeah, well, this has given me a lot to think about because it's under the, the topic of what's possible, right? Ideally, you are reducing the tech stack. You are evangelizing and building, we've referred to it as building their consumer muscles. And we talked about it a lot on this podcast from a strategy standpoint, because that's where a lot of organizations are on this journey right now, is understanding the what, not even the why or the how. yet. they're still in the, what do we need to be doing here? And so this is building one of those consumer muscles as what we've referred to it as, right? And they do need to get their reps in. And this is what enables that to happen in my book. Yeah, sure, there's a lot of more customer experience or patient experience type aspects of their consumer strategy that most organizations have room to grow and improve on. So that will always be there and that needs to happen. Then there's this whole side that just is so emergent. It's so new. And people are looking for best practices and they are trying to understand, do we need to upskill members of our team or bring in somebody to help us understand how do we know we're doing this correctly? So I appreciate opening that up for us and helping us understand a little bit of, if this goes well, here's what that looks like. And, And I think that helps us understand in the short term what's possible But what about the long term? What if we're a few years from now and we're looking back at here's how things have changed, here's what we're able to do now because we've implemented these things? What do you think that looks like and what do you hope we're celebrating in healthcare a few years from now?
1: And that's a great question. The thing I have found is the higher order of this becomes less Big Bang oriented because you've taken some of the big rocks out of the water and the real gains are iterative in nature. Let me give you an example. I, I, I met with a CEO of Kayak one time and I said, what makes you so successful? He said, Rich, it's real simple. We run a thousand tests a day. The things that work, we do more of. The things that don't work, we do less of. And I found that same principle was in place at, at Hilton. They were testing things all the time. And they would iterate their way to two percent gains compounded over a year. That's enormous. And so we've probably seen the math over a one percent gain over a year versus a zero percent it's just compounding really works. And so I think that really is the higher order of this thing. And and obviously what we're now seeing is a, a sea change in the ability to not just capture massive quantities of data spanning any number of you know different data footprints and now it actionable through something like AI and machine learning. And so iterative is the big theme, but I think there's this disruptive thing in the true three years from now that I believe is going to be game-changing beyond what we're able to foresee right now in using this similar and massive data to find the, oh my gosh, I never realized moments. In the past, those were achieved through human heroics and, and more manual analytics. I, I think that we're going to see step changes as a consequence of massive data now being made actionable through machinery. And so it's hard to anticipate. And what I I think we're going to find is this whole idea of personalized medicine applied in many areas. Some of the greatest gains that are occurring right now, and just like oncology, I I met with a guy who said that in 10 years, you won't know people that are dying from cancer. They'll get cancer. They won't die from it, though. And I, I think those kinds of things, this is not the same level of mission, but the ability for marketers to have profound impact. We've had clients that for years were providing good value. They were ringing the phones and things like that, but they moved from awareness marketing to conversion marketing using some of these principles. And they're putting 15 to 30 million in in contribution margin a year on the table. Now all of a sudden, it's a very different conversation. I think those kinds of gains are not only possible, but required in a post-COVID world to help replenish the financial statements and frankly, the spirit of our employees. And that's frankly why I'm so passionate right now is is it's so necessary. So I think getting back to your original question, I think it'll start with iterative gains. But I think once the data is unified, I think there will be profound gains as a consequence of what AI is able to unlock for us. This is
0: why I ask this question, is because it really opens my eyes to where we could be in the near-term future. Thanks for sharing that. I want to give you a final word here on anything else that you want to make sure our listeners know but we haven't mentioned yet. Anything else that, that you'd want to make sure we cover today?
1: I think the one thing, it's going to sound like a little thing, but it's been the most powerful tool that I've ever used. I mentioned the, the turnaround work that I did, and turnarounds are, are all about momentum. Frankly, startups are all about momentum. And so what I do when I do discovery with some, an organization, you're going to find 15 to 40 ideas that have some merit. You're going to consolidate that down to 15 or 12 or whatever. I then rank them in terms of a, a two by two grid. How beneficial is that idea, which is what everybody tends to pay attention to. And then how easy is it to I realize the benefits of it? that horizontal axis, that's the axis that I find people pay the least amount of attention to. And when you're resource constrained, either financially or or in human capital, that's where the real rubber meets the road. And so I encourage people to think about momentum as the most important thing and use that horizontal axis as the vehicle through which they establish that momentum. And just that simple two by two grid not only charts your roadmap, but gives you the big important thing called start here. If you achieve phase one goals, everybody's going to be interested in signing up for phase two. If your phase one ends up being a three-year long-winded journey with nothing to show for it, of course, you're not going to get funded. And so if I impart nothing else, that particular idea, in my opinion, is the most simple thing, but it also is the most fundamental for earning the right to have a phase two. And so that's what I'd encourage people to think about.
0: I love it. All right. I'm going to be thinking about that for sure. You've given us so much to think about today. What's the best way for listeners who want to reach out and connect with you? Is that on LinkedIn? Is there a place for them to find you?
1: Well, certainly I'd welcome LinkedIn. That's a great place for it. Obviously, I'm Rich Phillips on Huron at LinkedIn. If you're not opposed to, I'm even willing to give my email address so people can reach me. But uh, however people want to get to me is fine. Yeah,
0: awesome. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. I've had the pleasure of speaking with Rich Phillips from Huron. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's
1: been great. Thank you, Jared. I really enjoyed the time.
0: Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for change makers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.